On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to August. The following people have pledged their support on Patreon to support the podcast. And because of these kind people, I am able to put the podcast out on a consistent basis. So I want to thank David and Jennifer Von Ebers, Jeff Ulmer, Sylvan Groth, Liz Brunson, Yetta, Steve Van Sack, Rob Barnett, Randy Brown, Bella Pori, John Munson, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Steve Rogers, Dale Hosek, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Thanks, everyone, for the support. If you want to be part of the Patreon family and get unique, unedited episodes in video, please go to patreon.com, search for Set Lusting Bruce, and you can support for as little as $5 a month. Thank you, everyone. Now on to the show. I started buying the bootlegs <laughs> and I read Dave Marsh's book. The His first biography was out at that time, which was called Born to Run, the Bruce Springsteen story. Dave's book remains essential reading in my view and the sequel he wrote, Glory Days. They've since been combined into a larger like single volume called Two Hearts. But I strongly recommend to this day people reading those books. I think they're great biographies. And that led me into getting more into the music he even had an early list of the covers that Bruce would do in concert and their connections. That's the other thing. And a lot of this I write, by the way, in the welcome message on the website. Bruce's music also served as a gateway for me to discover a lot of other music. And I think that's happened for a lot of fans. But I that think was so, the, too. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the coolest things about him was he would talk about his own influences. And, of course, he would play a lot of them in, in the concerts. And again, I was listening to bootlegs. I didn't actually get to attend my first Springsteen concert until the Born in USA tour, which it's funny because now you have like little kids going. But back then it seemed like a big deal. Like, I can't go to a concert. I'm too young. <laughs> and who would I go with? Because I didn't have a big brother or a big sister to take me. I was the oldest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Over the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of guests joining me who are not as big Bruce Springsteen fans, but uh, fans of other musicians and other podcasts. And today we are back in our groove. Sean Poole is here. He is a diehard Springsteen fan. It is all Bruce all the time. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> so Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jesse. It's great to be here. I think you and I have 
talked for a while about my doing this off and on years actually i don't know if you remember but it we just never got around to it and yes uh, now's a certainly a great time to do it and i'm really happy to be here thank you for inviting me i am just so forward to looking forward to talking to you about a little bit of everything but tell us a little about yourself Okay, I'm a longtime Springsteen fan since I guess about the early 80s or so, maybe late 70s. And I grew up in the heart of what many consider to be part of Springsteen country, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Huge fan base here, especially when I was coming up as a teenager back in, like I said, the early 80s, my adolescence. We had, we were very fortunate to have some serious Springsteen fans on rock radio at that time. And I'm talking about people like Ed Shockey, David Dye, Michael Tierson, legendary rock radio personalities who were just early spreaders of the word about how great Bruce's music was. And it just seeped in the bones, so to speak, of a lot of rock fans, pop music fans. And then, of course, by the time you get to the mid 80s and the explosion nationally and internationally, of born in the USA, it just, it got even crazier locally, but I was very fortunate to come up during that time. And I've been, as I said, a longtime fan. And of course, back then we're talking pre-internet days, the main source for information for fans who wanted their fix of Springsteen information and updates was Backstreet's magazine and eventually the legendary Backstreet's hotline that you used to call and get your regular updates from. And then eventually, of course, the internet with backstreets.com. And I was very fortunate to be able to contribute to the magazine and the website over the past about 20 years or so. I I was actively involved with them and it was a hell of a ride. I enjoyed it, got so much out of it. And I remain deeply grateful for that experience. And especially to my friend, Chris Phillips, the editor, publisher in the sort of second half of Backstreet's run. And that's what led me eventually to start the website that we're talking about tonight a bit, which is letters to you.net. We just launched it last week. Very happy and excited about that. And that's where we are now. Yeah, I'm looking forward. We're going to talk about the new website. We're going to talk about, we're going to lightly touch Backstreet's going away. I know that has been a sensitive subject to a lot of people. If you are a regular listener to my podcast, I tend to dwell on the positive. By the way, I would love for Chris to join me sometime. So if you want to put a word in, hey, Jesse's a good guy. (laughs) But I always like to start at the beginning, Sean. So talk about growing Mm -hmm. up. What kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger? When I was like really little, my yeah, probably some of my earliest musical memories were a lot of the great music oriented TV shows that were on back then. Okay. I'm talking about shows like Johnny Cash had a show, Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, and you got a lot of different or saw a lot of different musicians that way, or at least I did, because my grandparents would watch those shows. They also watched like Lawrence Welk and Hee Haw. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And at least it broadened my palate a bit. I'll say that about it. But those were really exciting early memories that I have of, of just seeing a lot of different musicians. And my mom was like, she was a big Pat Boone fan, oddly enough. She even, okay. when she was a teenager, she actually won like a photo play magazine contest where she got like a copy of his book 
and she she became pen pals with some other fans over the years and she maintained like these long friendships with them she since passed but i've often thought that it's funny that pat boone is like 180 degrees from the likes of elvis presley bruce springsteen sure. name, name your famous rocker but at the same time she already had that music link of being into a musician and connecting with other people about it it was there when i've thought about it recently it's funny in a funny way it's been there and what? i actually a cool memory i have is getting to take her later on in life to to see pat boone live and get a picture of him with her and everything so that was cool but that's, yeah. yeah that's a great yeah, memory. it was nice it was nice that I got to do that for her. I'm, I'm glad it, I got to do that. You know what I'm thinking of, Sean, too? It's it's a family tradition, right? To be to, <laughs> to, to interact with other fandoms, to support yeah, I mean, your I, favorite musician. You're just carrying on this family tradition. So in a funny way, I, had, I hadn't even really thought about that until you gave me your list of questions and thinking back to those days and how they might connect. That's just something I thought about. So yeah, how about, it's there. How about your dad? My dad, he played the accordion and um, my parents separated. My parents got divorced when I was very young. I was only seven. And unfortunately, my father, um, due to his alcoholism, he just like the parts of Bruce's music that deal with family trauma and troubled relationships with your parent. Sure. That's and the very fact that Bruce wrote a lot about troubles with his father and the the protection and nurturing he got from his mother, I lived through a very similar dynamic. I was the oldest of three boys, and my father, unfortunately, was out of the picture by the time I was seven. But that was a good thing that my mom did, and I'm sure that was a really hard thing. But she really did protect us, the three young boys that she had, from a lot of that. But my positive memories of my father before all the sort of negative stuff came in. I remember us taking trips to the Jersey Shore. There's a little town that's barely known, I think, by a lot of people called Shore Acres. And he had family there. And it's a lovely little town. I got to take my wife to visit it later. It's like really old Mm -hmm. and off the beaten path. But I remember nights being down there and the relatives would all just gather together and he would play the accordion and they would sing and drink a bit. (laughs) And But it was a cool, again, when you asked me about my early musical memories or connections, that's something else I remember a lot. Sean, my parents divorced when I was in like junior high and it was, it was a rough divorce. Now, later they ended up remarrying, which was very odd. Wow. Yeah. yeah, When they were both much older. And so I, I certainly know that feeling often at this point, I usually ask, when did you first discover Bruce and what about him spoke to you, you've answered the second question already about Mm -hmm. that music, but talk about, can you remember when you first discovered Bruce and his music? Yeah. I I don't know if it was like a moment, a couple things stand out. Like I said, he was in the air, so to speak. And we're talking like in the early eighties, I was like 13 in 1980. I was getting into the the popular rock music of the day. I was I was a youngin doing that. And um so he was part of the mix for sure. I knew about him. But I think I really started getting into him when The River came out. One of the cool things that I remember WMR, one of our or WIOQ, one of one of the local rock stations doing was playing the entire album the day it came out. Like that night I remember sitting up in my bedroom 
and listening on my little rinky dink radio. I, I didn't have like real hi-fi equipment or anything, but getting to hear the whole album straight through on the day it was released and just saying this guy's really good. And by then I had already heard things like Jungle Land on the radio and Badlands. So I was already, but I mean, that that experience of hearing the river that night and just how diverse the music was, that really started getting me into him a lot more. And then a lot of fans, um, I started buying the bootlegs <laughs> and I read Dave Marsh's book, the his first biography was out at that time, which was called Born to Run, the Bruce Springsteen story. Dave's book remains essential reading, in my view, and the sequel he wrote, Glory Days. They've since been combined into a larger like single volume called Two Hearts. But I strongly recommend to this day people reading those books. I think they're great biographies. And that led me into getting more into the music. He even had an early list of the covers that Bruce would do in concert and their connections. That's the other thing. And a lot of this I write, by the way, in the welcome message on the website. Bruce's music also served as a gateway for me to discover a lot of other music. And I think that's happened for a lot of fans. But I that think was so, one of the, too. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the coolest things about him was he would talk about his own influences. And, of course, he would play a lot of them in, in the concerts. And, again, I was listening to bootlegs. I didn't actually get to attend my first Springsteen concert until the Born in the USA tour, which... It's funny because now you have like little kids going, but back then it seemed like a big deal. Like, I can't go to a concert. I'm too young. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and who it, would I go with? And, yeah. and there were all these things because I didn't have a big brother or big sister to take me. Yeah. Uh, I was the oldest. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new Factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. 
So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. So do I do think that, as we say down south, Bruce, for all his thoughts, never forgot where he came from mm. and has always given a lot of respect and homage to those who came before him. And, and so I, I do think that is you often could find that in musicians, right? When they're covering something which leads you to this musician, which leads you to another musician, which leads you to another musician, and uh, you can get that. So that's pretty cool. You mentioned seeing him born in the USA. Sean, I like to preface this. The amount of times you've seen Bruce live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are people that have never seen him live that are massive fans. And there have been people that have seen him hundreds because they hit they hit college at the right age when he was touring all the time and they lived in the, the East Coast area. But do you count? I don't count. Okay. What I can tell you is I've seen him at least about, I would say, three to four times on practically every tour since born in the USA. The one tour I did not really get to see him live on was the Tunnel of Love Express Tour, which in my neck of the woods was an extremely hard ticket to get. Okay, I think he only did maybe one or two nights in Philly on that tour. And he was at the height Yes, that's just a few years after born in the USA. Yeah, yeah the casual fans playing are like, the spectrum, oh, yeah, 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 for just yeah. two nights, forget it. Yeah, you, we got to see that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So that was a tough ticket. But I did get to see him on what immediately followed that, which was the Human Rights Now tour. Okay. He did a stop at JFK. Obviously, that wasn't just his show. Yeah. But that was a great night. That was a great experience, that show. And seeing the E Street Band perform that night was awesome. And then, like I said, for most tours, some tours I haven't gotten to see him as much. Devils and Dust, I got to see one show on but i also got to see the vh1 storytellers show that he did that was cool yeah well that that would be nice that was one of the perks of working for backstreets at the time Yeah, exactly. i always said when i said this teasingly to chris too it's you're not going to make a million dollars working for backstreets but the fringe benefits can be awesome sometimes (laughs) i bet yeah because i got to see some interesting events over the years obviously that was one of them and i just got to talk to a lot of amazing people both famous and non-famous. So let's start with that. Tell me the story of how you discovered Backstreets and how Mm -hmm. you ended up being a contributor. It's hard for me to remember exactly how I discovered them so many years ago. Sure. But I was an early subscriber. I would say by 1983 at the latest, I already had my Backstreet subscription. And, you know, back then you were just getting issues in the mail you yeah. would get um, a catalog of stuff that they were selling. And that was the communication you had. The hotline hadn't even been set up yet at that time. So sure. I came in as a subscriber to Bat Streets very early on, like maybe, I don't know. I know that Little Steven was on the cover of the first issue I got. Back then, it was still black and white. They had upgraded. It wasn't quite newsprint. It was a slightly better paper quality. But it wasn't the beautiful yeah. color, glossy issues that they later produced. Not yet. And Little Steven was on the cover. And the big news was him leaving the E Street Band. So this is pre-Born in the USA. And it was right around the time that Men Without Women came out. So that was the time I was a, became a Backstreet subscriber. And I remained one until there you couldn't be one anymore. But I didn't write for them or contribute anything to them until much later. I think the first, yeah, the first thing I wrote appeared around 2000 or so. And it was a fun little piece. I I was a kindergarten teacher at the time. Bruce brought out the video anthology, uh, which was like this two DVD set of all his music videos between 78 when he did the uh, Rosalita promo clips from Phoenix, those mm-hmm. those videos, and that was all they aired at the time of Born in the USA because he hadn't even yet done a music video at first until they got Dancing in the Dark in the mix. But anyway, it goes. It went from there till 2000. It was the expanded, like he originally issued a sort of an anthology of his videos on VHS a little earlier, but this was the DVD expansion of it. And the thing about that set was, if you look at the closing credits of it, there is an enormous enormous amount of spelling errors and little like factual errors and then the booklet i think itself with the dvd had those too so i somehow got in touch with chris phillips and said listen i have an idea here of a fun little humorous kind of piece on the spelling errors that appear in this and i wrote it as if i were a teacher grading it so so we had some fun with it and i um, love that yeah, he loved it and said, yeah, bring it on. And that was what was great about Bat Streets, too, is Chris was always open to having and, and Charlie crossed before him. He followed the tradition of Charlie, who started 
uh, the magazine and certainly deserves credit for his years with it as well. But I never specifically worked for Charlie. Chris was already the editor when when I came on board. That was the okay. first piece I did. And then a short while later, I had been part of the Backstreet's had these great trivia contests. I think they did three all together. And there was one guy who won the first two back to back. His name's Bob Crane. I've since gotten to know him. He's a great guy. And he actually started the Bruce Springsteen special collection. He was the the main driving force behind that in conjunction with Bat Streets and some other folks. He organized the collection, nurtured it into what it became, and was the executive director of it until it was later he was later succeeded by Melanie Pagioli, who also did a great job nurturing it and bringing it along. And now, of course, it has become subsumed into what we know as the Bruce Springsteen archives. Right. So anyway, they had this trivia contest. Bob was the back-to-back winner. And then he retired himself for round three and became one of the question generators. And I remember spending that summer, I forget the exact year, drive my wife crazy because I was going through trying to figure out all these questions and you had a certain amount of time to do it. You had to get your entries in. And we even did stuff like we went to Asbury Park Library, tried to check out some stuff at the collection to to figure some stuff out. But anyway, I wound up tying with Lauren Anki, who later, I think Lauren, maybe she later became the vice president of education at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think she works at NPR still now great person. I got to meet her through this process. We were tied and then we tied again. We like tied twice. And Chris finally had to have this lightning round where he gave us like, I don't know, it was like 20 minutes or half an hour. And he said, you got to name all the Dylan and I think Beatles covers that Bruce has done. Come up with as many as you can. And she finally beat me in that round because she had me with Dylan. She knows her Dylan. But what was interesting is there was a trivia question there about what famous thing or what notable thing did Bruce do on the same day that he settled his lawsuit with Mike Appel? And it turned out to be that the same day that he settled that lawsuit, he saw Elvis Presley perform here in Philly for the last time. And that really intrigued me. And it led me to do this article about that. We got some great stories from Ed Shockey, who was still alive at that time. Ed actually took Bruce. Ed and his wife took Bruce to see Elvis. And Bruce was offered a chance before the show because here in Philly, he was big enough to be offered this chance. The promoters knew him to meet Elvis, and he turned it down. So it was just a fascinating story. And I was like, I said to Chris, I want to do this article. And he was like, sure, go for it. And it actually expanded into this massive feature on Bruce and Elvis. We had like maybe five or six articles total. And we got a really cool photo for the back cover of Elvis sitting at a desk that said the boss on it. It was on the nameplate. Be, the, the nameplate belonged to his father. But that was like my real big taste of writing for Batch Streets. Like I just, it really spurred an interest in me. I said to Chris, I want to come back for more. And over the years I did, got to do a lot of, like I said, different articles, features. And so... Obviously, being at Storytellers has to be a highlight, but are there mm-hmm. other ones you that you're like, you go, I can't believe I'm doing this? Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure. I'll give you a couple. One was I got to sit in a hotel room in New York 
with James Burton, who is a legendary guitarist. He was in Elvis's great 1970s live TCD band. And he's just done tons of amazing stuff besides working with Elvis. He played with Bruce. He was part of the Roy Orbison Black and White Night show. He was the anchor guitarist for that night. And I just got to talk to him and his wife about so many cool stories. And that was just an amazing day. And that turned into a great article, too. Got a picture of James holding an issue of Bad Streets and all that cool stuff. And then I got to talk to Stephen Van Zandt, Darlene Love, and Chris Columbus, the director of uh, the Home Alone movies. And he wrote Gremlins and has worked with Stephen for years on different movie projects. But I got to talk to the three of them about Christmas music. Because Stevie had done a song, he wrote a song for the second Kurt Russell Santa movie that Chris Columbus was involved right, with. Right, I remember that, yeah. And then Darlene sang the song, so I got to talk to all three of them. That was just amazing. I was like, I can't believe I'm oh, doing yeah. this. That, that uh, sounds that was, pretty good. Yeah, and that was during lockdown, so that was like even cooler in a way. It was like, wow, I can't believe. Yeah. Talk about a spirit lifter at a time when you needed one. Sure. <laughs> it was like, yeah, that, that was just great talking to them. There are lots I could go on and list, but it was just okay. It just a lot of fun. I, I got to uh, hang out with Weird Al Yankovic one night. <laughs> it was Backstreet's photographer, Tony Sadler, and I went to the show, got to see the show for free. And then after the show, we got Al to pose for this gag photo where he's He's reading an issue of Backstreets and looking at it like, this is crap. And then yeah. we gave him a copy of Mad Magazine with Alfred E. Newman as Bruce on it. And he was like, this is great. And he just, he was perfect. Like, I was a art director, if you will. The, I, yeah. I explained the idea of what, he, what we wanted to do. And he was like totally into it. He was like, sure, just give it to me. I know what to do. Of course, total pro. And That's awesome. He was great. And it just it was another cool thing. I was like, I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> so... Word got out. First off, have you gone to this tour? I have. I was How at many? opening night. Okay. And that's it, actually. I've only been to opening night so far. But Are I've you... got, I'm looking forward to seeing the two shows here in Philly that I have tickets for, and I'm going to Baltimore. Okay. And maybe more. We'll see. I don't know yet. But um, Yeah. I, I was at Philly, too, of course. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so okay. I have seen two. Yeah, yeah. I didn't okay. miss Philly. So got to ask your thoughts on the small but vocal minority about the static set list uh, oh my cat's muttering in the background of that i see <laughs> that yes yes what can i say i i could say a lot i know that people have their expectations their desires their wishes but i also have seen this show more than once and i know that it's a great show it's a different show. It's a different kind of show. If anyone has seen Springsteen on Broadway, that was a show that changed little if at all from night to night. Yeah. I think the only time you got to change was if Patty wasn't there, he would do things a little bit differently usually. This show, at least so far, seems to be like that show in terms of its structure. But I don't feel that he lets you down if you're going to expect a night of great rock and roll. And a great set list. We are talking about songs that other bands and artists would kill to have in their set list. 
to say, I wrote this song and my band and I tonight are going to perform it live for you. And it's a very well thought out set list. If you're trying to understand the connections between the songs and what he's trying to say with that night. So for me, I don't have a problem with it not changing much in terms of its structure. There are lots of movies I see repeatedly because I love them. There are lots of books and albums that I might want to re-experience over and over again because I love them. And if the time comes where, you know what, I'm just, I'm a little bruised out, say, or I'm a little Beatles out, whatever, I'm, yeah. I'm Elvis out, whatever. I don't want to listen to that for a while. That's okay. Yeah. I can, I don't have to go to 10 shows or 12 shows. Maybe the problem is a little more with me in the sense that I'm burned out on this or I'm looking for something different. Okay. Then just step away from it for a while, do something else, live your life. And you know what? At some point you'll probably come back to it and enjoy it just as much, if not more than you did last time. So I'm not quite sure why it's that big a concern. I don't see it as a sign of laziness or burnout or some of the negative things that people have attached to it. I think that Bruce continues to sing and play very well. And again, he's doing it for almost three hours with no intermission whatsoever. Street Shuffle and Kitty's Back are his chance to rest. I remember the guys from None with the Brave podcast, right? Mentioned that, that that's his chance to rest his fingers. Okay. (laughs) But he's not getting off stage. No, he's not off the stage. No, not at all. I love your answer. Thank you. Probably because you and I are in sync. I have been vocal on, on Twitter and on the podcast that I understand being disappointed that you thought you were going to get what you used to get. And there Mm -hmm. was like, oh my God, we're getting Iceman. Holy crap. I get that. I also understand. I I do think the person that has the most right to complain is whoever paid in advance for all the nugs shows (laughs) because they wanted them. Like, oh, and now then, okay, if I known there were only going to be one or two songs, I wouldn't buy every show. Those, I think, Mm -hmm. deserve a a refund. But I don't understand being angry at Bruce or feeling Mm -hmm. like he's effed us over because, and the argument is, he set this expectation. Okay, that was then, this is now. People, he should do what Taylor Swift does. He should do... Two wild cards every night. He does change it up a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. I was in Dallas without Steven, without Susie. He did the Detroit medley for us, which I had never seen live. Mm -hmm. And I think partly because I'm at 19 shows and holding. I didn't Mm -hmm. get to go to Tulsa because I had COVID. I have tickets Mm -hmm. for Columbus. And I just found out this week. Thank you. My boss is, I said, hey, John, I have airline miles that I'm going to lose if I don't spend them before October. We have an office in Lake Havasu, Arizona. I said, we've been talking about me going to the office. I said, I'll use my airline miles so that way the company doesn't have to fly me. You pick Mm -hmm. up the rent-a-car, you pick up the hotel, and then I'll go to 
two or three days in Lake Havasu. I'll fly into Phoenix. I'll fly out of Phoenix and I'll see Bruce Thursday night. Right. Oh, well yeah. paid, Jesse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's, yeah, sure. I'm excited about that. So, yeah, I, I that's what makes me mad is the anger. And I do think there is a resident, there's this overlapping, and this will lead great to Backstreet's decision, is mm. that all of a sudden we had supply and demand with tickets. And tickets were really expensive and hard to find. And then... Bruce and John, I don't understand as rich as they are, why they didn't hire someone of a better PR to go, okay, how do we handle this? But they didn't. So that made people angry. And then, and so now then it's reached the point that when the trains don't run on time, it's Bruce's fault. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, with some. Yeah, it's um, so, and I think it's a small but loud minority. And that is what social media is there for a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So Indeed. when you hear, did Chris tell you in advance that they were planning to retire the site? I'll say this. I was shocked by it. I got the sense that things might be heading that way based on prior conversations because it was, I'm not saying any secrets here. I was pretty open that I respectfully disagreed with the take of Chris and other folks at Bat Streets on the whole ticket dynamic pricing issue. And to me, the essential point of view that I've had on that is I think it's way more complicated and there's just, there's a lot that there, there are a lot of assumptions that people made about it that I think are incorrect and the media didn't help in some ways right. by by playing up some facts and ignoring others. $20,000 tickets, right? Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, and I'll still say in a nutshell my my take on it is the impression I get and and I, I should proceed all this by saying I worked and researched a lot for backstreets on ticketing issues before what happened last summer happened with the announcement of the yeah. dynamic or the finding out, I should say, because it wasn't announced. And I do agree with that perspective that it, it, it did throw people for a loop in part because it was just, here it is. And there was yeah. no advance no, notation that this would be coming. But anyway, prior to all that, and this is all on Batstreet, you can still go there and look. Yeah. Um, there's a web, there's a part of Batstreet's site called Fight the Monopoly. Yeah. It originally was called Fight the Merger. And we had been active for years because Bruce, in, in part because Bruce himself had encouraged fans to become active in stopping the Ticketmaster monopoly from happening. Happening, He and John Landau made public statements, and we're talking like back in, say, 2008, 2009, thereabouts. Okay. When the Department of Justice was deciding whether to allow Ticketmaster and Live Nation to become a, a monopoly. And... I was deeply involved in the reporting on all that and organizing what we organized around it to try and encourage fans to to be opposed to it, to to stand in opposition to it. So there's a lot that I've written over the years about the ticketing and the kinds of things that Bruce and his organization have done about it. And I was aware of all those things and I've been aware of all those things. 
And knowing that information is important to understand where we are now with Ticketmaster as a monopoly and where artists are, not just Bruce, but all artists, all popular artists, touring artists, and what they can and cannot do and why they choose to make certain business decisions and why they choose to not make certain business decisions. So I just think it's a lot more complicated. I also think it's worth noting that the most reliable figures I've seen indicate that we're talking about no more than roughly 15% of Bruce's tickets that are subject to this dynamic pricing, horrible thing in terms of impact on people buying tickets. That means that 85% of his tickets when he sells them, are priced at regular prices. What happens after somebody initially buys that ticket? He doesn't control. Yeah. So I'm putting that out there just to add. So when all this came out and what started to be written at Batch Streets was written and the kinds of things they were posting, I did what I could on my end, like on my personal Facebook page, things like that, to share my perspective, which was very different. So I did disagree with my colleagues there about that. But at the same time, I, as heartbreaking as the news was that Batch Streets was going to shut down, at least in part because of the ticketing issues. And I yeah. don't think that's the only reason Batch Streets shut down. And at the same time, as much as I disagreed with the decision, I totally accepted as far as it's Chris's magazine, it's his website. Yeah. And he's free to do what he wants. And he remains my friend, and I wish him the best in terms of his what's happening now, post-Batch Streets, his life and his career. I wish nothing but the best for him, and we continue to remain friends. In fact, he's been nothing but supportive and kind and gracious with the whole launching of this website. He was somebody I told early on what was going on. I wanted him to know about it from me first and foremost. Sure. And he's been nothing, as I said, but gracious, kind, and supportive behind the scenes. And that's been, I can't express enough how appreciative I am of that on both a professional and a personal level. That's so super. That's, that's where we are with it. Yeah. And so we're going to get to the website in a minute. I just, a couple mm -hmm. of things that strikes me after you're doing it. I know that, there are people, and I'm going to general term, in any topic that, what's the Sarnowitzky skit? Fix it. I just want you to fix it. And and if you try to push too much, they just go, well, they could do something. And my argument was, unless everyone got to go to the shows they wanted to go to, in the section they wanted to sit in, at the price they were willing to pay, they weren't going to be happy. Because mm -hmm. there were plenty of other tickets at other shows. I don't want to go to that show. Or, well, I don't want to sit in the newest bleed seats. Or, I don't want to pay that much money. And and I that's your choice. But right. to make everyone happy, and I repeat that. You, you would have to find a way to give everyone who wants to go at the show they want to go in the section they want to pay, sit or stand and pay the amount of money they want to pay. I, I remember during especially the first Broadway run, there was a lot of anger of people going more than once. 
oh, I can't believe you're going more than once. That's not fair. You're not giving a people. And I brought up, do you, if you're going to multiple shows in a row, do you not try to get in the pit the second day because you wanted to give somebody else a chance to go in the pit? Oh, that's totally different, Jesse. Is it? And this is a very small minority. And it's because we love this guy's music. And we love that experience. I, my bet, one of my best friends, Sam, said that forget Walt Disney World, the happiest place in the world is a Bruce Springsteen show. <laughs> and I, I agree. I can and, relate. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I've seen three shows so far this tour. I'm going to do two more. And I will go back to this. I have seen Casablanca more times than I could count. I love it every time I watch it. I yes. have listened to Pet Sounds. More times can I ever count. And every time I listen to Pet Sounds, I go, Brian Wilson is a genius. Mm -hmm. My wife did say, I'm a little surprised he didn't change the set list. That's why I agreed to go the more than one show. But I had a great time. She went to Dallas and Houston. She goes, that was a great show. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I do think that and there's a lot of noise about that a positive, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, as they say, that say, have you been in the show? Have you seen the amount of people who've never seen Bruce perform before out there screaming their heads off? Mm -hmm. And and for someone, for a group that's in their 70s, they are Mm -hmm. still kicking ass. Absolutely. And I think about people like my wife, is a huge Ramones fan. Yeah. So you can understand, I'm sure, that it was just amazing when we found out that Bruce wrote Hungry Heart for the Ramones. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that I was bet. just like um, an amazing moment of connection for us. Wow. But the reason I bring her up and that up is the Ramones are no more. The Ramones, the, none of the original members of the Ramones are here with us in this plane of existence. And they're not the only band like that. And there will come a time when there's no more Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band. And I'm just glad that I can still go and see Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band performing. I don't feel like I'm seeing a substandard show. I'm not seeing the show of the 80s. I'm not seeing the show of the reunion tour. I'm not seeing the Wrecking Ball tour or working on a dream or the river tour 2016. Yeah. But I still feel that I'm seeing an excellent show, a life affirming show, a show that speaks to me deeply as someone who's lost people in my own life and who's aging. I I just think that there's so much going on in the show that is meaningful and valuable and worthwhile. And I'd much rather focus on what is there than what isn't there. Now, that said, I do want to stress that my hope with the website is that it will be as big a tent as Backstreet's was. Yes. Because I don't want people to feel like we can never express criticisms of Bruce Springsteen or have differences of opinion over things. I don't want it to I don't want people to think that we're just going to be 100% gaga. Everything Bruce does and says is great. And how dare you bring up any, it's not going to be like that. But at the same time, I guess here's the thing. 
whether you're talking the tickets issue or how you feel about the current tour or whatever, is any of this a deal breaker for you? Right. <laughs> In the sense that I've been a fan of a lot of different artists besides Bruce Springsteen. And especially the ones who are around as long as he is, chances are they're not always going to do something that you like. They might sometimes do some things that you don't like, whether it's a song, whatever. I, I, I don't like every record that Bruce has ever made, at least not equally. I might find something on each record that I like but or dig or whatever, but there are records that I'm much more fond of than others. And that's okay. I'm not real worried about it. I don't need to end my fandom of him because of that. And for all I know, a year and a half from now, he might come up with another record that's really great. Or he might not. Doesn't yeah. mean I'm going to stop liking what he's already done or stop being his fan. And it doesn't mean that there's a lot of interesting stuff or that there's not a lot of interesting stuff to still write about this guy and his art yeah. and his fans. So that's my main Good. Sort of impetus for continuing with something like this is that I don't see anything that he's done or not done as any kind of deal breaker. And even if I felt differently, there there are some things about I wasn't too happy about the General Motors commercial, the Jeep commercial. But again, that's my sort of perspective. I have my opinion on it. Some other people yeah. have other things. And it wasn't a deal breaker for me, the issue. Now, if it was for certain people, okay, I get that. Yeah. But if it is, it seems the easiest thing to do with that, in my view, is to walk away if it really is a deal breaker. Because it's the probably better for you in your life than harping on the negativity of it. Find something else to do. Because life is just too short, ultimately. I agree, I mean, Sean. Plenty to do with life. If you decide that you need to walk away from somebody or whatever, you do that. But... Yeah, a uh, couple things. One, he doesn't sing for Are You in a Court in the way my dad did, so therefore I have no interest in the Seeger Sessions. That's a slight exaggeration. There are songs in the Seeger Session I love, but I just recently came to, yeah, my dad sang for Are You in a Court in a certain way. Bruce doesn't, so therefore Bruce is wrong. Um, have you, you ever know, heard Elvis sing it? No, I, I'd have to check that out. Oh, yeah. there's a box set. Um, okay. called Walk a Mile in My Shoes, the essential okay. 70s recordings. And they've got this great section of Elvis rehearsing Yeah, uh, for one of his shows, and he dives into it. It's amazing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I will be listening to podcasts, and they will be consistently trashing a TV show. And mm. I will quit listening to the podcast, because I will go... There are episodes where I don't particularly like an episode of a TV series. Like, this one didn't work for me. But if I'm consistently watching a TV show that I'm unhappy with, and I understand there are certain people that do hate watching, or almost now it's gotten to be a cheesy point, like under the dome. A lot of people reach the point, this thing was so ridiculous, we're just going to have fun, almost Mystery Science Theater it. Mm -hmm. But if you're consistently unhappy with something, move on. One last point, then I want to get to the new site. I got really pushed back when Jesse Adams, he is the one wrote the, and he wants to stress, he did not write the headline, Bruce Springsteen crossing the picket line. Mm -hmm. And he had wrote that article and he said, that wasn't my art, wasn't my headline. But basically the article I, was about- I can attest as a writer, and you might know this too, most yeah. writers don't get to create their own headlines. Exactly. And, but basically it was about him being disillusioned with Bruce. And it all started with working on a dream and specifically 
queen of the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And so I said, boy, I'd like to have him on the podcast. And I got so much crap. Oh, no, Jesse, I won't listen to that episode. Why would you have him? And I'm like, because I want to hear <laughs> his side. So he was on here. We had a wonderful discussion. I was politely pushed against some of his points. He politely pushed back to some of mine. I did say, if you have never, I said, you need to see this tour. If Mm -hmm. you're thinking that Bruce can't sing Thunder Road with passion anymore, you need to go to this tour because that will tell you very quickly you're mistaken. And so to push this, I love you. We have a big tent, right? Mm -hmm. There are, I would rank Tunnel of Love over Darkness on the Edge of Town. I know people, that's sacrilege. I am not a fan of Jungerland. I know that is heresy. I'm not saying it's not a great song. I'm just saying it doesn't speak to me emotionally. If I had the choice between hearing Mary's Place and Jungle Land live, I will pick Mary's Place 100 out of 100 times because I've only heard it live once. And it reminds me of being at my grandparents' farm when we were on the porch shelling English peas when my uncles and aunts are all around telling stories. And that brings that that gathering. It takes me to that place. Yeah. So, right. So I am glad. So I, we talked about this before we hit record. I feel what you've done is you've looked and there is something missing. And instead of cursing the darkness, you've decided to light a candle. So talk to me about lighting your candle and this journey, Sean. I love that you phrased it that way. And there's, that sort of metaphor of trying to find the light in the darkness, it's obviously a big one. And when we talk about the dark, the themes of darkness on the edge of town, I think it's there. There's a great song uh, by Bruce Coburn called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. And he actually has a line in there. You got to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. And I to put this in perspective, it wasn't this horrible tragedy like on the level of a national disaster or anything it was very sad news that bat streets was ending its run and as i've said already i understand even if i don't really agree with some of the reasons it was done i accept and understand that it happened obviously you'd have to it happened it's actually happened and i still have immense respect and feelings of great friendship for a lot of people involved. So it's not about that. It being gone, just I, I started talking to some other Springsteen fans I know. It felt like there was this void because to me, Backstreets was a place where you could do a lot more in-depth thinking, discussion, features. I just liked I liked reading it as well as writing for it. And it it also wasn't like real academic or in a difficulties or or in an in it in a sense of being inaccessible. It was extremely accessible, but it was smart and clever and funny and moving. And it was all those things. And my hope is that in some way we can help fill that void with something like that. But just like with Bruce's music, it, he doesn't do the same thing all the time. And we're not looking to do an exact clone of Backstreet's, but like Bruce has done with his music, take the best from the past 
and because we have some people who've contributed to batch streets in the past involved and make it also fresh and new and speaking to today we i'm hoping to have some new voices involved and i'd like to openly encourage anybody who's interested in pitching an idea or is thinking about writing something um, that they think would be worth other fans checking out please email me it's editor at letters to you.net and let me know and we'll see if we i'm hoping to post as much and as frequently as possible but again this is not the day job at least not yet <laughs> that yeah. may change depending on the kind of advertising revenue we might be able to generate we're hoping eventually to do some appropriate ads things that would yeah. interest fans to help supplement because we want to keep the subscription free as well so you do not have to pay anything to visit our website. We don't want to put up any paywalls. We encourage people to tip us if they can to help keep things going. But no, we're, we're hoping to keep this open and accessible to fans. And I'm just really excited about it. We launched just last week. We've got about, I think, six or seven posts up now. And I'm hoping to put up some more later in the week. We're starting our social media presence soon. We hit the ground running because we saw this kind of lull between the end of the European first European leg of the tour and the beginning of the second U.S. leg of the tour is a way to get things out there. And we put we got as much ready as we could and just threw it out there and said, hey, folks, we're here. Yeah, you may and have noticed if you've visited regularly that we've already made some changes to the way the site looks and we're adding like bells and whistles as we go along. And it'll be a growing enterprise, I hope. <laughs> that is awesome. And yeah, the moment I saw you posted this, I reached out and I said, hey. I, I want to help promote this because thank you again. For well, one of the common themes I heard from people that I love that have been very active with me, like everyone, right? We all have a group that's our unofficial advisors, right? That just and they were talking about you either went to the show or you followed the show on social media and the next morning, the first thing you did is read the show review on Backstreet's. You watch the Cowboys lose to the <laughs> Eagles and Sunday morning yeah. and Monday morning, you're reading about how badly they did. And I know this made some people sad because that was part of the ritual and we do. I know we've talked a little bit, and I've tried not to be too harsh to our siblings that are, as I say, they've got Bruce sleeping on the couch. They haven't broke up with him. They just right now, Bruce is sleeping on the couch, right? <laughs> right? Because I understand where they're feeling. And I just love that you are giving in this void where ultimately we can go. I love Blogness on the Edge of Town. Peter's been on the podcast multiple times. He's uh, great. Peter's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's and, let me there there are some things I've written for him yeah. that I didn't write for Backstreet. Yeah. Yeah. This is there are now five or six Springsteen podcasts out there. And yep. I've just I love the neighborhood. And I, this is not a competition. This isn't about no, absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah. This is just I um God. And I keep thinking of I had last year, I had a an episode where I had three young women all under 25 that had never seen Bruce perform live. Wow. And they joined me and they talked about their fandom and how much they loved it. And Sean 
I turned 64 in June. This is my Beatles year. And we Letter to You speaks to me because mm -hmm. the road in front of me is definitely shorter than the road behind me. That's just mm -hmm. the fact of life. Yep. My brother died on February 13th. I was in the oh. Houston show February 14th. You think my I might have cried to I'll see you in my dreams. I'm you... sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I love the idea you're throwing open this tent and saying, come on, come in. Hey, you want to throw a couple of bucks in the collection plate? Great. But mostly we're just yeah. glad you're here enjoying yeah. the celebration of Bruce. Yeah. Right. And as you said, there's no sense of competition here. My hope is that this will be something to add to what's already out there and not to take away from anything that anybody else is doing because I think it's all great. And I, I think being a Springsteen fan now, as opposed to when I was a kid, just the amount of accessibility there is to things. And a lot of that has to do with what Bruce has done too. The way he's opened up, he told E Street Radio, basically, you guys can play whatever you want to play, whatever you can get your hands on. And now he's releasing archival live recordings and a few days after the latest show you can get a recording of what you've seen a really awesome sounding professional recording yeah, yeah. Of not a crappy bootleg and no no offense to the people who used to do those bootlegs because they were doing their best that they could yeah they were to get what yeah. they could out there but the sound has just improved so much and i just think it's great that there are these other things out there i did this probably most of all just for the personal reasons of i miss what I got to do with Bad Streets to write about an art form and a group of musicians producing that art form who I love. And I still think there's a lot of interesting, fun things to write about it. I look forward to getting other people involved. I like hearing the different voices, perspectives, and whatever it has to offer to this grand conversation that Bruce and John Landau have talked about over the years. I hope it will do that. And like I said, or, or as I noted in the sort of our subtitle for the website, it's for this part of the ride. That's where we are now. It's hopefully going to bring the best of where we've been into the present and into the future. And however long it goes, we're in it till the wheels fall off, like Bruce says in a letter to you. And that's just my, my take on it. And I agree with you totally that it's there's room for a lot of different podcasts, Facebook pages, websites, and I'm just hoping that this will work and fit for at least some of the fans out there. We've gotten a great response so far, which is really encouraging. People have been nothing but supportive, and I hope that continues, and I hope we can build on it. We have some good momentum that I hope we can take into the future and just make things even better than they currently are. So, so Good, yes. Amen, brother. Amen. I want to get I did need to ask the, mm -hmm. is there anything you're still chasing as we talk about the static set list, but are yeah. there, do you have a couple of songs in your heart that you're hoping some right. time to hear? Yeah. I thought about that when I saw that question for me, this tour still feels, and I get the impression Bruce would agree with this, but I can't say for sure. So I don't yeah. know. But it still feels very much to me like this is the Letter to You tour. Right. This is the tour that would have followed the release of Letter to You if all hell hadn't broken loose right. with COVID-19 and everything. 
the majority of new songs come from that record. We get a little taste of Only the Strong Survive with Night Shift, which, by the way, I feel works beautifully. If you're going to play one song off of Only the Strong Survive in a show that's filled with themes of mortality and how do you connect what's gone to what's still here, yeah. Night Shift is the song to pick. And it just works so well, in my view. But anyway, so because it's still, in my mind, at least very much the Letter to You tour, I would love to hear at some point some of those older songs that they did on Letter to You. So Janie Needs a sh- Shooter, um, If I Were the Priest, uh, uh, Song for Orphans, that song, <laughs> it's just amazing that he wrote it when he was so young. And you and I have talked about coming from families that have some brokenness to them. And that that song just speaks yeah. to that so deeply. And to hear him sing it now and, and to hear the band do it the way they do it, that would be quite a treat to see. Yeah. But whether that happens or not, as we know, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a wish list of my own and it would be nice yeah. to hear, but it's not uh, something that I'm demanding. You no, know, <laughs> so I, I feel like I'm playing on House Money. I was there at Houston when he says, I wrote this song over blank years ago, and we're looking at each other. No. And when he did, if I was the priest, we lost our blank. And then and Stevie, did, the yeah. guitar on that. Is oh, a, yeah. just, yeah. yeah. So I got to see it both in Houston and Austin. Wow. So I feel double blessed. I would, Power of Prayer is one of my favorite songs. I just would mm-hmm. love to hear that live. I'm selfish. I would love to hear anything from western stars just yeah. we have the film and i love the film i watch it that's on kind of a rotation where oh i haven't seen broadway in a while oh i haven't seen western stars in a while right so i would love anything of that i was hoping maybe tucson train might wake it but once again this is selfish right he started doing mary's place after i'd already gone to the show so i'm like damn it i would have loved to see that and I still, in my heart of hearts, I grew up in Louisiana. I would love to hear him do Jolly Ballon live. Just wow. because that, my my college, that was their fight song. And so just that. But it is, when you think about it, I, I don't know about you, but when I was listening to Letter to You, it felt like we'd never get to hear these live. Mm. We just, it's never going to happen. And to get that, I'll see in my dreams, ghosts, mm-hmm. and it's it's just something special. Definitely. Is before we get to the Mary question, I do have to ask, <laughs> is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have? Not that I can think of. I feel like we I feel like we've had a pretty good conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. And you are welcome anytime well, you need to give you. up an update on the website. I want to hear this. Our, I look forward um, to that. Letters to you.net. Okay. Letters to you.net. <laughs> Bruce's album is letter singular to you. Yes. Our yes. website is letters plural. Letters okay. to you.net. And by the way, if you type in letters, the number two, the letter you.net, you'll still get to us. Ah, oh, nice. So either either domain will work. <laughs> Very nice. Good. The URL will work. You'll get to us. You'll find All us. right. Go check it out. Yes. Let's... Come by. Yeah. See what, see what we're all about. Check us out and mm-hmm. 
certainly all writers and even uh, photographers out there, if, if you've got some stuff that you think might be worth sharing with others, you can always email me at editor at letters to you.net. Perfect. Good. All right. Gosh, this was a fun conversation. I am so happy we were able to make time to do this. All right. Jay Armstrong is a retired high school English teacher. He's now a writer. But when he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road. They would study Mm -hmm. them. They would treat it as a poem. They would talk about the imagery that Bruce is painting using those lyrics. And then at the end of the class, he would ask his students, does Mary get in the car? Sean. Now I got to ask. Yes. I got you. And we're okay. going to get to that. But okay. I got to ask, did he use waves or sways? <laughs> I do not <laughs> know. That is a great question. Of course, I had a T-shirt that's available. It said Lusting Bruce on Etsy where it says <laughs> the question isn't sways or waves. It's does she get in the car? <laughs> that That is a great way of putting it. Yeah. Although I am... I had to say, for the record, I yeah. am team waves all the way. Okay. I'm sorry, and I have to say to Mr. Landau, yes, yes dresses can wave, just Very like flags nice. can wave. Anything made from fabric yeah. can wave. And I think I would even go so far as to say wave, waves was what he wanted, at least back then, because it did mirror the image of a flag waving, but we won't go there. No. And it, it <laughs> is hilarious, the passion on both sides, right? <laughs> it is just, I love that. Yeah, except I would also say we have some evidence on our side. Yes. That Bruce Very... alluded to when he was on Fallon, that it was yeah. in the album. And the reason why it was in the album is if there are handwritten lyrics out there where he wrote waves. Yes. But anyway, again, okay. I'll leave it at there. The important question that you ask, does Mary decide to get in the car? I would say, of course she does. Okay. Who, who could possibly... Turn down that invitation, especially if everything that the singer says about that town and her life and his feelings for her, if they're all true, I can't picture Mary doing anything but climbing in and getting ready to take that great invitation to whatever's out there, the adventure that comes next. Now, what's interesting, though, is that I go back to my friend and mentor, Mr. Dave Marsh, when I'm, I'm, I had a part in his book here. I've got the Two Hearts book in front of me. On the Born to Run part, when he reviews Born to Run, he pointed out that, so that last line, so Mary Klein in a town full, it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win. Dave wrote, it is such a brave boast that the fact that they're going to drive in circles doesn't really matter at the moment. Later, it might be the only thing that counts. And I think what he was getting at there is that Mary in Thunder Road, you could see her becoming Terry in Backstreets. You could see her becoming Wendy in Born to Run. And and Born to Run, in a way, is like the same kind of invitation as Thunder Road is. It's just darker and more menacing. It's yeah. much more focused on that town and how it rips the bones from your back. But it's still saying, hey, let's get out of here and let's go out and see what we can find. 
But a few songs later, after Born to Run and the joy of She's the One, there's Cherry in Meeting Across the River. And then there's the girl who shuts out the light, the bedroom light in Jungle Land. And Mary could be all those characters, too. She could become. She could become. The Mary Lou in Reason to Believe. If you take it as far as Nebraska and she could become the bride who leaves the groom. Waiting there. So, yes, I think she definitely climbs in. But I think what's really notable about Bruce's music and his songs is that's not where the story ends. He takes Mary, that character and what she represents, to a lot of other places, as we know, because he's in it for the long haul. And I think that's probably the greatest gift of his music is that it's music that can take you from the cradle to the grave. And certainly Thunder Road is much more representative of the cradle in the sense that's like where... That's very much near where the story is beginning, where he really started to get a handle on telling a bigger story that wasn't just about New Jersey or even the United States, but the world, humanity, really big issues that he took on. And yeah, but she definitely climbs in because we all want to climb in. We all want to take that adventure and see where life takes us and step out of the, the bad things. Like you said, look for the light in the darkness. And that's what Mary stepping into that car represents. And I am so glad that you asked me this question because I can't say a whole lot about this right now, but there's going to come, if, if all goes well, there's something coming up on the website soon that deals a lot with Mary climbing in. And I'll leave it at that for now. Very nice. So a couple of things. I had a guest once that said, absolutely, she gets in the car. And if you think about mm-hmm. racing in the street, the she sits on her daddy's porch, the same porch that she danced across. She definitely uh, could be that character too. Yeah. 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 And then I don't know if this is the perfect answer, but oh, it's and I'm sorry, of- I knew I knew who else I was going to add. Yeah. She certainly could be the Mary in the river. Yes, um, absolutely. Which, of course, was inspired by his sister's life story. Yeah. That could be what the Mary who climbed in the car experiences. And she could also be Mary who's got her place in Mary's place, the song that you love. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a totally tragic ending either. But it I'm just saying that he was, yeah. he was able to take his characters to so many different places. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I also one of the guys said and I. This is the most romantic answer. He says, absolutely. She gets in the car. They drive to the West. They and they have a beautiful life together. And Moonlight Motel is him mourning her death. Oh, I was like, okay. That's... I said, that may be the answer. <laughs> that may be. Yeah, absolutely. By the way. And maybe before they got to the Moonlight Hotel, a little bit before in that album. Yeah. They found that nice little place and started Sleepy Joe's Cafe. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thank you. This was a, that was a great answer. I appreciate it. It's a but great was, question. Thanks. It thanks is, for asking it. It yeah. has become my signature. I end every podcast. With. <laughs> Even when I have people who aren't Bruce fans, I actually, on my agenda, I send to them and I go, all right, here's your homework. Listen to Thunder right. Road. And some people have never heard Thunder Road, which wow. boggles my mind. And and then they, and they all enjoy it. But yeah, that's absolutely great. I'm really yeah. glad you asked it. Now, if I come back, 
back. Yeah. I'll have to answer it again. And my answer may be different. I don't know. We'll see. Or you're well, going to have to come up with a different closing question. So what, I, you know, I sometimes think. And not that, if, when I come back, I should yes, say. Yes, absolutely. I also, yes. I often think that it would be interesting to have a discussion. Is the couple in the river, are they happy? Mm. Are they happily married? And, and I think about that a lot because. No marriage is perfect and no marriage is smooth sailing the whole time. And, and if you're, sometimes it's 90, 10, other times it's 10, 90. And you hope that over the long run, you get to be 50, 50, but if you don't, mm -hmm. that's okay. And you wonder, I sometimes wonder, and obviously in real life, it's a very successful marriage. His sister and her husband are still together and still, Oh yeah, but I, I sometimes think about that couple and go, because there's a sadness to the river, but is it just the sadness of what could have been? And that doesn't necessarily mean, are you focused on what, as you said so well, are you focused on what we have or what we didn't have? And I mm -hmm. think about that sometimes. Yeah. He certainly got a better handle on writing about marriage and relationships. The river was a breakthrough for that. Yeah. But as, as good as some of those songs are, I'm with you when it gets to Tunnel of Love. I mean, that, those songs yeah. really capture that sort of day-to-day, -day, what a real relationship is like, the so, give and take. And, yes. and, you know, that it's not something interesting you might want to try since you love Tunnel of Love so much. Yeah. I read this in uh, one of Dave Marsh's addendums to Glory yeah. Days. The second side of that, we're in the we're in the streaming age. So yes, other side. Yes. in the vinyl days, you had side one, you had side two. So Tunnel of Love, the title track onward is the second half of the record or side two of the record. Now, you might be interested to know if you don't know already that those songs. The order in which they were created is reversed. So Valentine's Day. Was written. Valentine's Day, which closes that side in that album, was written before Tunnel of Love and everything else goes backwards in the sequence. And Dave Marsh argued that if you play them that way, if you play like a Valentine's Day open side two, and then you went in reverse order, you got a much more accurate picture of what most marriages are like because you end with Tunnel of Love, which really is like one of the best songs ever about it's right there in the lyrics. Yeah. You got to learn to live with what you can't rise above. You got to, you got to take your relationship and work at it and accept your own limitations and learn whoever this person is. You're sleeping next to each night. How do you make this work beyond the fairy tale storybook ideas of romance? And it's just interesting. You might want to play it sometime. I way. will. You play have given me my order. homework. Yeah. Yes, you have given there you me go. my homework. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I uh, thought you yeah, might be interested in that. Yeah. One of the things I always get a kick out is I usually say you have to have your heart broken a few times or been in a long-term relationship to really get Tunnel of Love. And then mm -hmm. I have a 19-year-old that comes on and goes, oh, it's my favorite album. It just speaks to me. I'm like, <laughs> okay, what do I know? <laughs> it is, but I do feel like I have grown to love, Linda and I got married in 84. We've been at this a while and 
every year of marriage, tunnel of love means more to me because I know how mm-hmm. hard it is. It's it's if I should fall behind, right? It just right. speaks about that work you have to do to keep together. Yep. Yeah. But that 19-year-old you mentioned, yeah, that person might be an old soul too. Yes, it is. Because one of the things, I was precocious as a kid. I, I was able to graduate high school two years earlier than normal. Like I was able to skip a grade and, and they also let me in first grade when I was five instead of six. But anyway, the, the only reason I'm bringing that up is that I always seemed like with Bruce, his records were like the older brother I didn't have because I was the oldest. And he obviously was ahead of me in years by almost a generation. Mm-hmm. He's like he's 18 years older than I am, I think. I don't have the math in front of me, but th- yeah. it doesn't matter. But a lot of times when I was listening to his music, the things that he was writing about were things that I had yet to experience myself, but they helped me to prepare me for what might lie ahead. So that 19-year-old you talked about who really digs Tunnel of Love, they just might be thinking, this sounds like some wise words that I might want to just keep tucked in my pocket as I travel along my own path in life and see what happens. I had a guest once that said, this was fairly recent. He said that Bruce originally started to teach us how to explore our youth, then how to bust out of our small town. The river helped us become adulthood. Born in the USA helped us to question our country and to be more of adult. Ton of Loves helps us with our our relationships, then... The rising helped us to heal after a magic tragedy. And he says, and mm. magic helped us to question even more politically. And he says, now Letter to You is helping us to learn how to deal with our passing and our aging. And I said, there's a lot of truth in that, that as yeah. he has grown, we've grown along right with him. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Sean, plug the website one more time. And if someone wants to reach you, how can they? All right. If you want to visit the website, just go to letters to you.net. And that can be to you like T-O-Y-O-U, or it can be the number two and the letter U. So letters to you.net. Either way, you'll get to us there. And if you want to just let me know what you think of the site and or if you're interested in possibly doing something to help us get some more content up there that would engage and interest Springsteen fans, Feel free to email me at editor at letters to you.net. It's late. <laughs> yes, it is, Sean. I appreciate you staying so late. Thank you. Listeners, please go check out the site. Let's give some support to the new tent, the wonderful tent that we're having that's all inclusive. We're going to end with if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, listeners. Be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. 
I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.